Amen. You have your Bible this morning. Turn again to the Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want to begin reading in verse 4. Paul shares that although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, as if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Beloved, as we've been going through this passage, I have shared with you that this is the testimony of the Apostle Paul. And when you consider a person's testimony, one of the things that is often overlooked is what God is doing in that person's life right then and there. That is, what is God continuing to do in their life after it is that they come to Christ? And this morning, as we're going to focus in on verses 10 and 11, this is the aspect of Paul's testimony that we will be considering. As I read again to you here a moment ago, in verses 4 through 6, it is there where Paul is sharing with you that part of his testimony that refers to his life before he came to Christ. Then in verses 7 through 9, he is sharing with us in his testimony what happened to him when he came to Christ. He came to know Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And now as we pick it up here in verse 10, and we didn't read all the way through, but you could go all the way even down to verse 17, and even in some sense, all the way to the end of the chapter, and what Paul is sharing there about his testimony is about what it was that God was continuing to do in his life. You see, a person's testimony doesn't stop at the point and place in which they come to know Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Because as it was with Paul, the truly converted person, the truly born again person, the truly saved person, the true Christian experiences changes in their life. You think about what we've talked about this, here in this passage on Sunday mornings. We have seen that in Paul, there was a drastic change in his perspective. We saw that in verse 7. The things that he was counting on, now he saw them as a liability. We saw there was a drastic change in his priority. In that Paul said, now in my life, Jesus Christ is the priority 
my relationship with Him and knowing Him became the number one priority in my life. Whereas beforehand in his life, Paul wanted nothing to do with Jesus. We saw last week together as we looked at verse 9 that Paul recognized that there was a change in his position in his standing with God because when he put his faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's righteousness was credited to him. Now this morning as we're going to look at verses 10 and 11, we're going to see, beloved, that in the person that is truly converted, that in their testimony, they should be able to continue to testify that there was a change that happened in their life and a change in regards to their pursuits in life, their ambitions in life. And remember, as Paul is writing this, he is saying this is what he's pursuing in his life right then and there when he was writing this. And remember, he was saved some 30 years before he's writing these words. This is a change that happens in the person's life. It brings about a change in their pursuits, a change in their ambitions. In fact, this is really giving us more clarification about what it is Paul said and what he meant when he wrote back in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21 when he said, For me to live is Christ. That my life is about Christ. This whole testimony that Paul is sharing has been about Christ. And I want to encourage you that as you share your testimony with others, wanting them to come to Christ, make sure that your testimony centers on Christ, that your life is before Christ, your life in coming to Christ, your life even after you have come to know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. In verses 7 through 11, Paul refers to Jesus nine times here in his testimony. Here in these verses we're going to look at this morning, in verses 10 through 11, Paul refers to Jesus four times. He wants to know Him. It's about His resurrection. It's about His suffering, His death. This is all about Christ. Because the Christian's life is about Christ. Our ambitions in life Center on Jesus Christ. So let's look at these verses together in verses 10 and 11. And let's see what are the pursuits of a Christian. What are the ambitions of a Christian? What is it that we pursue after? Well, notice one of the pursuits that we will have as a Christian there in verse 10 is just simply to know and to experience the person of Christ in a relationship. In a real relationship. Notice again, he says in verse 10, that I may know Him. I may know Him. If you recall, back in verse 8, Paul says, I have counted all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value that is nothing else compares to the value of knowing Christ Jesus. Paul came to know and experience and have a saving relationship with Christ when he was saved. But what he's saying here in verse 10 is that I want to know him more and more. 
I want to commune with Jesus in prayer. I want to know him more. I want to know more about Jesus and just know Jesus through the scriptures. Brother, one of the main reasons why we as God's people should want to be here together at the church together is because when we gather together in worship of Christ and we gather in his name, he has promised that he is with us. We get to commune with him. When we gather together around the Lord's table, he is with us. We share in communion with him. That's why Paul got on to the church and was uh, rebuking the church at Corinth over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 because of the way they were coming together around the Lord's table, forgetting that they were sharing in communion with Christ. You see, we want to know more than just the facts about Jesus. We want to know Jesus. That's why we study our Bibles. That's why we study our Bibles personally, and that's why we study the Bible when we come together as God's people. Why? Because we want Jesus' words abiding in us. We want to be abiding in Him. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to know Christ. We, we just want to love Him more. That's why we study theology. Not for theology's sake, not for arguments to, to win debates, but so it will increase our love and our devotion to Christ that we just love Him more. That's one of the reasons, beloved, why you should want to go out and witness and tell somebody about Jesus because when you go over there, what did Jesus say? Go and make disciples, disciples in my name, and as you go, I am with you always. We have the promise of His presence. This is the life. This is the testimony of the believer. Not perfectly. Not without times of dryness in our pursuit. But it is the direction of the life of the true Christian that they want to know Christ. They want to know Him. They want to know more of Him. They want to pursue after Christ. And I wonder how many people, I wonder how many people, if, if, if you ask them their testimony, and understand, beloved, if I ask somebody about their testimony, they can share about what it is that was going on in their life before Christ, and they can share about what it was that happened whenever they say they came to Christ, but that's not enough for me. I want to hear what's going on since then. What's going on right then and there in their life? Because if they genuinely know Christ, you see here, Paul says, they're going to keep wanting to know Him more. And it, it, it concerns me at times of how many people have walked down an aisle, how many people have been baptized, and that's the extent of the testimony of their coming to Christ. That's the extent of their testimony. There's really no change in their life. That is, there's no change in the pursuit of wanting to know Christ. There's really no interest in that. They have no interest in knowing Christ. No interest in being in God's Word. No interest in being with God's people. No interest really in praying and seeking the Lord and worshiping Him and communing with Him. They have no interest in that. 
that brings genuine concern in my heart when I read what Paul says that I have suffered the loss of all things because I just want to keep knowing more of Christ. Our pursuit as a Christian is just to know and to experience the person of Christ in a relationship. But notice the second pursuit that we have as Christians. Back in verse 10, he says he doesn't just want to know him, he wants to know the power of his resurrection. You see, as a Christian, what we are pursuing is to know and experience the power of Christ in the resurrection. Of all the miracles in the Bible recorded for us that were done by Jesus or that are just about Jesus, the one that really is the greatest display of Christ's power and the power of God is the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, God was demonstrating His authority over the physical and over the spiritual. And this is the power that He's speaking about. In fact, this is the very power that Paul is referring to over in Ephesians chapter 1 where he's praying. He's saying, this is what I pray for you. This is what he prayed for believers. I pray that their eyes of their heart may be enlightened because I wanted them to know what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might which He brought about in Christ. Notice he says, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. Paul prayed that they would understand more the power of Christ in the resurrection. Because it is this power, beloved, that is at work in you. Remember we talked about in Philippians 2 that God says, I am at work in you. He's at work in you, working by His power to do what? To conform you to the image of Christ. You see, as as true Christians, we want to be more like Christ. We don't just want to know Christ. I want to be more like Christ, especially in my moral character. And for that to happen, I must have the power of God. I must know the power of His resurrection in my life. Remember, in salvation, beloved, God brings you from spiritual death to spiritual life. Ephesians 2 says you were dead, spiritually dead and your trespasses and sins. You were living your life according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. You were living according to your lust of your flesh and indulging in the desires of your flesh and your eyes and you're walking in this way. And God made you alive. And in making you alive, He turned you around and gave you a heart that would love Him. And there's that divine principle that now is inside of you. And you have the power of God and this is what he's referring to here that we want to have the power of God working in our life to make us more like Christ so we as Christians for us to have this power and want to be more like Christ means we want to have more and more of our sin put to death we want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ 
But we cannot put to death our sin. We cannot put on the Lord Jesus Christ in our own strength, in our own power, in our own flesh. It is by the power of God. And this is what Paul is saying. I want to know more of this power in my life. Why? Because I want to have more and more of my sin put to death. This is the pursuit of the Christian. This is what Paul is testifying to here. Now, before us as Christians, to want to see this power working in our life in this way, it calls on us, beloved, to submit to the disciplines of the scriptures that we see that we're called to as Christians. That is the disciplines of prayer, the disciplines of, of reading and studying and thinking on the word of God, the disciplines of worshiping God, the disciplines of, of, of just knowing him and loving him and cultivating that in our life. It requires and it, it calls on us if we genuinely want to know the power of His resurrection and seeing that power working and putting to death sin in our life. It requires also a discipleship of others, of holding others accountable and having others hold us accountable. It even requires a, a submitting to the possible discipline of the congregation if necessary. We've seen this in the life of Paul. We've seen this in the life of Paul. We've seen that Paul is a man of prayer, a man of studying the scriptures, a man of, of worshiping Christ. He's a man who's been discipling others. He's a man who's been willing to discipline others when necessary. Why would Paul be involved in all these things? It's because, beloved, as he's saying here, his pursuit in life was to know Christ and to be like Christ. He wants to be like Christ. And he knows for that to happen he's the power of the resurrection of Christ working in his life through those avenues. This is a part of what it means when Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And that is the motto for us as Christians. But notice again, you go back and look with me carefully in Philippians 3. And notice a third pursuit that we will have as Christians. And it is the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That is, as a Christian, we want to know and we want to experience the partnership with Christ in his reproaches. We want to experience and know this partnership that comes with Christ in His reproaches. Notice again, he says, the idea of fellowship. Paul has used that word on more than one occasion here in the book of Philippians. It's the word koinonia, and the word fellowship really means to participate with others. It means to have a partnership with others. And notice, he's wanting a partnership of Jesus' sufferings. That is, his reproaches. Paul was willing to suffer the loss of all things because it allowed him the privilege of sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, in verse 17, he says, For I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. 
If you will, for a moment, look just one book over to Colossians chapter 1. And notice what he says in verse 24. In Colossians 1.24, Paul says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul's willing and ready to share. And notice he's saying, I am even willing to embrace and pursue that. The sufferings that will come from following Christ. He says over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that he was always, he was looking about in the body, he was always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in my body. He says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus can be manifested in our mortal flesh. Beloved, we want to be conformed to His death. This, we're, we're willing to partner with Christ in His sufferings because we want to be conformed to His death. Trials, tests that we face. What does Peter tell us over in 1 Peter chapter 1? He says the trials that we face, God uses those to refine our faith. In fact, let me just share something with you about suffering. First and foremost, the Bible clearly teaches that our suffering should be for the cause of Christ. Not as a meddler, not as something else, but if you're going to suffer, you need to suffer for the cause of Christ. But understand this about suffering. One, suffering is a gift. It is a gift God grants to you. Paul taught that back in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29 where he says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him. Now we love that part. I love the fact that He's granted for me to believe in Him, but don't, fit, don't stop the verse there. Notice he says, He's also granted for Christ's sake to suffer. To suffer for His sake. And remember, he's talking to a group of believers that were suffering. They were under some persecution at this point in their life as a church. Beloved, suffering is a gift from God. And secondly, let me just say this to you. Suffering is a guarantee from God. It is a guarantee because we're told over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12 that all who desire to live godly will be persecuted. God has guaranteed, really, we're going to suffer in some shape or fashion as followers of Him. Because remember, we live in a world that is hostile to God, hostile to Christ. So your suffering is a gift, and it's a guarantee. Thirdly, your suffering is a, something that is good for others. Look with me for just a moment. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1.
Verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Why? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the suffering of Christ are ours, you see, the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are shares of, your, of our suffering, so also you are shares of our comfort. Paul is saying, look, we go through trials and afflictions in this life, and we share in the sufferings of Christ, for God to comfort us so that then God can use us to bring comfort to others. It's for the good of others. But also, beloved, it is for your own personal good as well. Notice what Paul says, continue reading there in verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves. Why is it that God allowed this kind of suffering to come upon Paul and these other men that were out there trying to faithfully proclaim the gospel? It's so that we would not trust in ourselves. But in who? God, who raises the dead, who's delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. See, Paul understood that when he was going through suffering, when his party was going through suffering, that God was using that for the benefit of others, how they could show love and comfort to them, but also, beloved, he was showing them, don't trust in yourselves, don't trust in your circumstances, trust in me alone. Trust me. Value me. This is why, as Christians, we, in some sense, can welcome suffering for the sake of Christ. That we even have a desire for the partnership with Christ in His reproaches. Look, if you will, go over to the Gospel of Luke for just a moment. Go to Luke chapter 6. Just be reminded of something Jesus taught us. You're not going to hear these kind of words from your health, wealth, and prosperity preachers because it doesn't fit with their paradigm of Christianity. But notice something Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. He says, Blessed are you when men hate you and they ostracize you and they insult you and they scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. Notice what he goes on to say down in verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. 
For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. This is just the opposite of what we would normally think. But Jesus said, Blessed is the person who is suffering affliction and the reproaches of me. You're suffering because of me. Others may have a dislike for you, a hatred of you. They may ostracize you. They may insult you. They may scorn you. They may slander you, reject you, mistreat you, revile you. At some point, they may even physically harm you for the sake of Christ. These are all things that Paul was doing before he came to know Christ. But remember, when he came to know Jesus as his Savior and Lord, Jesus told him, and Ananias told him, God has set you aside, Paul, to go be a witness for me and to show you how much you must suffer for me. And Paul did suffer. We've read about his sufferings. This is a man that was beaten on numerous occasions, uh, he was beaten with rods. He was left for death. I mean, this is a man that went homeless. He went hungry. This is a man that was slandered, insulted, rejected, mistreated, reviled, physically harmed. But Paul understood he was a blessed man because of it. Because he was getting to share with Christ in his reproaches. As the Apostle Peter tells us over in 1 Peter, listen to this, you don't need to turn there, but over in 1 Peter chapter 4, listen to what he says beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised, that is, don't be shocked at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So that also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. He's saying the same thing that Jesus was teaching there in Luke chapter 6. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Don't be ashamed of it. Therefore, he says down in verse 19, those who those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. You notice he's basically saying the same thing there that Paul was saying over in 2 Corinthians where Paul said God has allowed this affliction to come on us even almost to the point of death so that we won't trust ourselves but trust God. And Peter is saying the same thing. Entrust yourself to the faithful creator. You see, this is why it is good in that sense. And this is the, the longing of the Christian. Now please understand as I wrap this up with this point, what I'm saying is don't minimize suffering as a Christian. Don't romanticize it either. I mean, Paul didn't go out looking for suffering. 
Paul wanted to be faithful to Christ. But what Paul understood is that when he was being faithful to Christ, as he says there in 2 Timothy, if I desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, I'm going to suffer. And I'm willing to embrace it. I'm willing to embrace suffering. Because I want to know this fellowship of his suffering. I want to be conformed to his death in that way. Well, let's go back to Philippians 3. There's one other pursuit that we see in the life of the believer. And it's found there in verse 11. He says, In order, or maybe some of your translations, somehow, so that somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You see, beloved, as Christians, we have this pursuit, that is, we have this longing in our heart to know and to experience this participation with Christ in the resurrection or even more specifically in the rapture. When he says, in order that, he's saying, if just somehow I want to attain, that word for attain there, I want to arrive at this destination. It's not that Paul had any doubt that he was going to go to heaven. It's not that Paul had any doubt that he was going to uh, someday be raised from the dead. I mean, Paul understood he was going to be with Jesus because remember what he said back in Philippians chapter 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, the only way he knew it was going to be gain is as he says there in Philippians 1 that when I die I immediately gain the very presence of Christ. You see Paul didn't just want to know Christ. Paul didn't just want to be like Christ. Paul wanted to be with Christ. That's what he's saying here. We as Christians just want to be with Christ and we know that when we are resurrected as the body of Christ we will be with Christ for all eternity. Literally, he says, we will attain to the resurrection from the dead. That phrase there, the resurrection from the dead, literally means we will attain the out-resurrection from out from the dead. Jesus spoke of this in some sense, if you will, for just a moment. Just very quickly, if you will, go over to the Gospel of Luke. Go to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. In verse 27, there are some who are the Sadducees and they didn't believe in the resurrection. And they began questioning him about a man who had a brother, a man whose brothers died and he had a wife and was childless and his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother and this happens with seven brothers and so who's going to be the Who's going to be the husband in heaven? And Jesus responds in verse 34, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy, and here's that same word, to attain, to arrive at that destination of the next age, the resurrection from the dead. They neither marry nor are given in marriage for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels and are sons of God being sons of the resurrection. 
And he goes on to explain that obviously the dead are going to be raised. Remember, he's talking to Sadducees, people who didn't believe in the resurrection, and Jesus is trying to explain to them from their teachings of Scripture that clearly there's going to be a resurrection because, as Moses says there in verse 37, where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. So they're all going to live. But notice Jesus was teaching that you can attain to the resurrection. And Paul, referring back in Philippians 3, is talking about a resurrection, this out-resurrection from among the dead. I believe that's what Paul is describing over in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4 where he's reminding them, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those who have already died in Christ, that they will be raised from the dead. And that those who are here and alive and remain at the coming of the Lord will be changed in a moment, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But those who are dead in Christ will be raised from the dead and will be caught up together there in the air. And what? To be with Him forever. This is what Paul is getting at here. He is saying, when God, when Jesus saved me, there was a longing that was put in my heart where I am longing and I just want to attain to this participation with Christ. I'm looking forward to the day when I am going to be either raptured or just raised from the dead. I'm looking forward to that because I know that when that happens, no matter what, I'm going to be with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus in heaven and when Jesus comes and there's a new heaven and a new earth and he rules and reigns, guess what? I'm going to be with him there and whenever there's the, the final new heaven and new earth that is there, I'm going to be with him and I'm going to love him and worship him. This is why for Paul, again, life is Christ and death is gain. It's all about Christ. It's all about Christ. So, beloved, let me just say this. What are you pursuing in life? How do your ambitions stand up against Paul's? Do you pursue these things? Maybe you're here today and you know, look, I, I, I need to make some adjustments in my life. I need to make some adjustments in my thinking. I need to make some adjustments in the things that I'm pursuing in life. I have these longings in my heart that Paul is speaking about here, but I've allowed some other things to creep into my life and they now have a higher place of pursuit. Do you just want to know Christ? Do you want to be like Christ? Do you want to be with Christ? You see, the ultimate question is this. Do you love Jesus Christ? If so, do you long to be like Him? Do you long to be with Him? Do you long for the coming of Christ? You see, that's the testimony of the Christian. Not perfectly, but it is our testimony. It is the direction of our life. That's why I say it's so critical at times for us to think through these things. Because I think far too many people's testimonies stop 
with, I made the profession of faith. And there's not much of a testimony beyond that. That doesn't fit with what we're seeing here in Philippians 3, the testimony of the true believer. The testimony of the true believer in Paul. That his life was radically changed. And it changed his pursuits. You see, we're not all going to be called as Paul was to be an apostle. In fact, none of you are going to be called to be an apostle. No one's going to be called to be an apostle. Because you, didn't, you weren't given the privilege Paul was of being able to visibly and ver- verbally personally see the Lord Jesus Christ. So that aspect of Paul's testimony doesn't apply to us. But we are all the same as Paul in this regard. These changes that take place in our life. And beloved, as Christians, we need to be reminded of what it is that we're to be pursuing and examining our heart. And we need to be examining our testimony before the Lord and see, does it line up with Scripture? And if it doesn't, then we have to be as the Apostle Paul. And we have to be willing to abandon everything and just come running to Christ and put our faith in Christ and crying out to God, Oh God, save me, rescue me, change me, give me a heart that truly loves you and believes in you and just trust in you as my Savior and as my Lord. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer for a moment.